Welcome to Bestec, the public procurement podcast. Today, we're discussing servitization and public procurement, what the role for the law, and manos. Welcome to Bestec, the public procurement podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Willem Janssen and Dr. Marta Andov discuss public procurement law issues, their love of food, and academic life. In each episode, Willem, Marta, and their guests search for answers to intriguing public procurement questions. This is Bestec. Let's dish up public procurement law. Hello, Willem. <laughs> hey, Marta. So we're talking today. I don't know why, sorry, but like, I don't know why I always have to laugh when we start. You always I think, chuckle a little bit. I think it's because, and I don't think our listeners know this, but I think we, we record the introduction and then our kind audio man chucks in this bit of the, you know, the tune. And then we have to, we wait for a bit, but we just look at each other and it's, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Let's, let's it's like, start. who will crack, crack up first? Exactly. Yes, we have two, um, like always, I think, uh, interesting, at least interesting for the two of us, subject matter for today. Our main, uh, so again, to to just uh, remind if we have any new listeners, hopefully, the main where we're discussing the substantive topic regarding public procurement law. And today that is uh, servitization and uh, the public procurement and specifically what role um, is the law to play here. And that will be followed up by our dessert, where we more relate to our life as academic, as teachers, also maybe mentors to some young academics and discuss a little bit broader, not procurement related, but academic related topic. And today, uh, provocatively titled, <laughs> dessert titled Manos. Um, so let's start with um, with the main. So servitization. I think that probably a good idea would be to start with somehow characterizing or defining that as a concept. So Willem, can you help us out here? What is servitization? Um, a, a short answer. I think it's a bit vague what it is. So it's like it's it's quite an ambiguous uh, trend or development. Some people even refer to it as a business model, a, a different way of approaching public sector procurement. Um, but to really sketch the contours, it's really moving from a product-based economy to a service economy. Um, it, it, it means moving from before purchasing products, but actually granting more responsibility. I think in general, responsibility is a key term to the bidder who actually doesn't simply just provide, provide the goods, but is also... Uh, remains an owner of those goods and actually gives them to you as a service. So you basically use them for a while, they maintain it, they replace it, they refurbish it, they recycle it. But the ownership and the responsibility, I think that's one of the key examples, remains with the bidder instead of the bidder, you know, just passing on ownership to you and then you're Mm. stuck with them. And it's a little bit also connected, I guess, with the costs, isn't it? That we have a certain or we gain with time a certain understanding that particularly maintenance uh, or service service associated with us purchasing some goods uh, at times may actually cost more than the products themselves, right? I think probably what is good is to just give an example to, 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 to sort of 
make it a little bit more practical. So one of the examples for servitization that is very um, common these days are, for example, printing machines. So we used to buy them for offices um, as products. But then, of course, the stereotypical idea, there's always someone standing next to printing machine cursing under their nose that something is not working. I might very well be that person. Yeah, you. <laughs> I've been that person more than once, for sure. Um, and of course, for those printing machines, for a longer time, you need services, maintenance, update of different systems, etc., etc. So since some time, we're buying them as a service because obviously everything beyond the actual sort of hardware of a of a product may actually cost more than, than the printers themselves, right? Any other idea from, from sort of different sectors yeah, that so comes to your mind? I think the, the printers is a great example. The reason why I recently posted something on LinkedIn uh, because I'm due to give a, a, a talk on this uh, topic in at the University of Leuven, KU Leuven. KU Leuven, is that what you say in English? If you will say KU, I think Copenhagen University. Okay. So Copenhagen? I'm thinking my own. Okay. Yeah. All right. I won't. I won't dare to do that. It's in Leuven, in Belgium, and yeah. there's a conference called Servitization and Circular Economy: Economic and Legal Challenges, and they're really looking at the economic aspects of it, but also in various fields of law. You know, what are challenges when it comes to servitization? And I was asked to. Well, I'm going to say something in April. And I thought, who, who else to discuss this with is Marta, because we can bounce <laughs> off some ideas. And perhaps, and this is, I'll come to that later, perhaps our listeners also have some, uh, some, some good ideas on, you know, where this is going, what does it mean, what, is it, what are good examples. And one of those examples, or a couple of them came up, um, but before I give those, I do think that in the public sector, it's still at a very infancy le level. So mm. this is a trend that I think makes a lot of sense to a, to a certain extent, and it's happening, but there's not, or at least in the Netherlands, as far as I can see, it's not, uh, a traditional purchasing of products is not, has not been departed yet. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have potential, that there's no examples. I, uh, I've heard a couple that have been um, that are quite common in the construction sector. So air conditioning systems, uh, lighting systems that you know are, remain within the ownership of the bidder, and they basically service it. So basically, the service they offer is a cool building or to cool the building rather than mm. providing air conditioning units. Yeah. Um, clothing of lock stewards. So. The oh, interesting. Dutch being a, uh, or the Netherlands being a, very prone to having a lot of water, lots of locks uh, in summer, they uh, uh, need to be manned because of also, you know, the little vessels that come through. Their clothing is then uh, leased, um, which means that the, the company remains an owner and, uh, or the bidder remains the owner of, the, of that set of clothing. They recycle, they refurbish at the end of the season. And they end up actually putting it into uh, picnic benches afterwards. So they really reuse it, right? It's not fully circular, that, but yeah. Yeah. I think the two, two things that come to my mind here is also um, A, complexity and B, innovation. Complexity, I think that the moment that you also switch from uh, goods to serv services, it also usually will be making, I think, your contract in itself or your tender in itself a bit more complex. So where I see this happening, the servitization, is usually um, on these more professional buyers and those usually are the or the large buyers or the sort of regional buyers or cent central buyers right so this is one thing but also innovation because what you're talking about there is this 
very cool project some uh, time ago that London Fire Brigade were, was doing, and they were putting they, they were experiencing that you know when you go to um, to deal with fire of a building. It's very chaotic situation. So different tools, different parts of the of the outfit, the the protective outfit, sort of are placed in diff- different different spaces, mm-hmm. and um, you need to you need to at some point collect them. So the idea at some point was in competitive dialogue. They were developing a sort of chips that you could that you could you know put in a different different things and that is also like a part because then you need to somehow service that chip you need to know how to operate that etc cetera, etc cetera. so the clothing the thing also that you mentioning right like you introduce innovation and that anymore is not a very basic you know i don't know a protective jacket for a fireman right but it's actually becoming something different yep. so the complexity and innovation i think it's also quite um connected to the servitization. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I think those two elements are very important. I think also sometimes it can make it less complex. And that's an example that I heard of of some provinces or I should say municipalities in the East that are responsible to keep for roadworthiness. I don't actually know what the correct English term is, but you know, when it freezes, roads get slippery and they have Mm -hmm. to send out their little wagons with salt. Oh yeah. Right? So Road readiness, yeah. Road readiness, so let's, just, let's yeah. call it like that. I'm sure someone could help us out with a better term. Um, and they were a producer of those um, uh, those vans. And they basically said, well, why don't we just run the whole thing for you? So instead of, you know, providing them and what what, what happened is basically they felt an urge, an urge to innovate because they kept mm. the vans and instead of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this disrespectfully, but dumping them, you know, after they'd sold them, here they are, go for it. Uh, look after yeah. maintenance yourself. They started changing some of the nuts and bolts, some of the things to make them more long lasting, which ultimately... Long lasting or for it to take less time so they can profit more, right? More time efficient. It's like the market will respond, right? If you give yeah. them chance, the market will respond. Yeah. And I think on top of the, the those characteristics, because we're trying to sketch it a bit there, because like I said, there's not really a definition, but, you know, this is, I think, giving our listeners a bit of a feel for, for the theme is it's also very much linked to a circular economy. So in making the bidder responsible for the service in the long term, it actually makes them think about, you know, recycling, refurbishing, a reuse of the, of the whole system, that no microfibers would leave the circle of the circular economy um, in the end. Uh, instead of just reusing it, there's no waste, right? And so in that sense... Also, moving from a less product-based industry might also be a key factor in, in creating a, a stronger circular economy. Um, so that's why I think the, the two are very much intertwined. Servitization is very much linked also to a circular economy. But there is also a, a slight challenge here, right? When you're starting to talk about um, life cycle costing, circular economy, all this aspect, because also... Um, from 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 our research from our work we know that for the fact it's much easier to have standard certification eco labels etc cetera, etc cetera, on goods and a majority of things of examples within all this this green or sustainable areas and on goods the moment that it becomes actually service it becomes slightly more difficult to actually quantify it right besides besides the traditional things of a transport um or or energy efficiency like if you go beyond that it it, it it's slightly bit more 
complex. I 100% agree with you. So it's one of the things that I'm looking at at the moment and that I'd also be, like I said, be really interested to hear our listeners on in where they see potential issues, right? Because I always find that often when we get asked to participate in research projects, I don't know if this is your opinion, but it's also often the question is, and that's also why we, why I chose the, the title for this episode to be, what's the role of the law? It's often a question of, is this in our way? Right? Is the law creating this mm. nasty obstacle that we need to circumvent and then we'll, we can do what we want, which was in the public interest anyway, right? So it's seen as like a, and I'm exaggerating <laughs> it, well, quite a bit. No, but, but you know, it's very funny that you mentioned that after a week that I've been having, this is exactly how I feel. I was like, am I in the right business? Because it seems that we are just making things unnecessarily complicated. So I totally get get this sort of standpoint. It's like, what is our role? What is that we actually are to serve? Yeah, so I, I mean, the way I look at it is we need to provide an understanding of what the law is to show where legal certainty is, but also where legal uncertainty exists. And perhaps also the next step, which is far more interesting to also discuss how we can improve the role, the, the law, the and law, of course yeah, our role. Sure. But uh, in a way, the question here was as well, because that's clearly what happens at these conferences when you get different fields of law. Is like, what's the position of EU public procurement law when it comes to this, you know, this topic? And mm. I, th I think you highlight one of the a very important aspect is because of that link with circular economy, you basically load in all the issues we have with trying to elongate discussions about uh, longer involvement of, of bidders uh, and trying to get them to work towards circular business models. And you rightly highlight that point of life cycle costing, right? It it still seems, I, I, in, in a way, I still hope that that's the future, but it still seems like a not distant Long future. Long way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, um, one aspect. I think also the, the, the longevity of contracts, right? There's an ending to it. And I still find that lots of contractors are hesitant to fully adopt this circular model Simply if they feel like, well, if we're only going to be involved for four years, right, is it worth changing our entire business model because of it? Clearly, there's some that do, but from a like an economic standpoint, there's a risk, um, a risk there. You might also say the contrary, right? Playing devil's advocate, you could also just say, well, if it's important, you have to do it. And if you, you think your product is good enough, then you'll win the next tender as well, right? So there's different ways of looking at it, but that's really the public procurement aspect of it. And my impression is, but... Um, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, is that the law is not really a big issue here. And I even thought about the fact, maybe this is weird, also reflecting on our role as researchers and legal scholars, is I even thought, should we even discuss it on this podcast? Mm -hmm. If it's not a problem, like, why should we discuss it? So my question is, I, I suppose, twofold. Is, it a, is, it, is my assumption right that, that this is not a massive problem? Um, and, and if it's not right, where do those problems lie? Because when I look at the uh, the directive, right, to give give another example, even even the concept of public contract in its definition in in Article Two, what's it, Section One, Seven or Eight? Don't pinpoint me. Yeah. But like that, <laughs> in Directive Two Thousand and Fourteen uh, Twenty Four, it refers to lease, rental, hire, purchase with or without an option to buy products right so there's it, there's already that variety that's included in the directive of different ways of constructing a contract so clearly you would need to have 
uh, a pecuniary interest. You would need to have multiple parties involved. So you still need to fulfill those criteria. But like, I feel like that flexibility is already included in the con in the in the in the directive. So things like pay per use, right? which is becoming more common in this context. So talking about the roadworthiness, they set up a, mm -hmm. a, a basically a panel. I'm simplifying this, but this was basically what it was. It was cold, there was frost, municipality pressed the button, vans would show up. And per time that they would press that button, they would pay, right? So I think those contractual arrangements that are important for the trend towards servitization are already taken up by public procurement law. You know where I see the issue when it comes to procurement law? Because I agree with you so far as, as, as it comes to the definitions of public supply contracts. But where I think, and, and this is actually taking me all the way back slightly to my PhD um, uh, thesis, are, are you going to get sentimental as well, or no? <laughs> I'll just give slightly. Um, but something that we that I mentioned to you on a couple of occasions, and we need to do at some point episode on that. But it's just I just always something is missing. But this is the notion of this is actually a mixed type of contract. It's a mixed procurement, right? Yeah. For sure. Because that, because that ultimately what it is. Do you have the part on if that is the um, if there is the not trucks, but the sort of machines that you use for the road readiness, or if there's a, the printers or whatever is the, the the traditionally understood or in previous procurements supply, yeah. and then you have a service. And the challenge of that slightly at some point is because then you have, um, if you have construction works involved, then you have this concept of main purpose. If you don't, um, if you says supply and services, then you just look on the value of individual elements that defines you kind of which set of rules works. But the reason why I think this is this is slightly, or where there is a potential slight issue with law, is that if we're going to say, okay, we have a supply part, we got service um, in general, it will be probably service contract, but it all depends here if you consider the value element, because if you're starting to include innovation and if you're going to start include circularity, the way how you innovate and make, let's say that printing machine, a super, you know, 22nd century flying on its own kind of, you know, super energy efficiency, whatever it no does. No more grumpy Marta or Willem standing next to it. It just exactly, appears. Exactly. Uh, then the notion of that is also like, particularly if you're starting to use the two-folded procurement procedures, so like competitive dialogue or something yeah. like that. This is also that in my mind, a slight problem of this can be a proportionality principle. Because to what extent you are to negotiate and how much time and effort and what how, for how much you ask your suppliers um, is defined by the main purpose of your contract, while the other part in servitization might be also extremely important for all this shebang to work. But the counter-argument can be that the, the, the uh, principle of proportionality slightly potentially might limit you in, in how much you can ask from your tenders. Mm. At least principally. And then and that is then connected with the last bit that I wanted to mention. Circularity in general is, you know, right now a hot topic. The both of us strongly believe in all these different things. But I think that we are uh, reasoned enough to also see that there is a long way to go. Because also from um, private contractual law, 
which majority time will you will end up with public contract that is actually a form of sort of privately ruled by private law ruled contract. Private law is not ready for circularity because whatever you will buy, uh, the guarantees, the insurances, et cetera, et cetera, for products that you have, the fact that that product is going to change its purpose later on and be, you know, repurposed for something else, et cetera, it's not really there yet. Um, so, so I think that there is, you know, a several layers that comes into it that makes it quite complicated. Yeah. Also, there's a. If I can complete, can be completely honest, maybe I'm being too simplistic about this, but are you not overcomplicating it right now? Because I think with those mixed contracts, right? To think about your two yeah. points. So, let's say those going. I love that we keep going back to the example that um, where we don't know the English word, the roadworthiness of the approach. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. say that's quite an extensive contract, right? And the vans, yeah. the, the, those trucks would be expensive, but to run it for a couple of years, maintenance, manpower, the salt that goes into it, probably more than that, fuel prices, mm -hmm. etc. I, I mean, what's the issue? I understand it would be a mixed contract, but like the value would supersede it. Then it's just a supply contract for, or sorry, not a supply contract, but a service contract, and it's, and it's. Yeah, but let's imagine that you that you are the public buyer that have, for whatever reason, you you at the core of your of your operation right now, you wanted really to make as sustainable as possible that contract, right? Which means that it's not only this on the value based uh, the. As you say, the services usually the services will take over in in how expensive they are, right? Mm -hmm. But it might be of a core interest for you to uh, discuss, maybe also in a context if you want to introduce certain innovation to how that machine works, what it can and cannot do, yeah. and you would want to spend fair a bit of time on debating that throughout the procurement process and sort of define it. Uh, to to quite detail in the procurement documents. Yeah. The question here is that I have is particularly when you ask for you know previous experiences in you know development of stuff like that etc cetera, etc. Cetera, whether this is not problematic that you're focusing on something that there's not that 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 as a legal qualification goes is not the main purpose of your contract. Yeah. Okay. So I, I understand that point. Um, and, and if I can then bounce back, wouldn't that problem be solved if you would just say, let's not overspecify in the contract? And we'll just say, we'll, we'll, I don't know if this is an in, in, international term, but in the Netherlands, we call it functional mm -hmm. specifications, right? Yeah, yeah, it is English. Okay. Yeah. So All you're right, saying great. what you want the outputs be, you're not saying what the input is to be. It, exactly. So say mm -hmm. we would just say um, the, the issue we have thinking out loud now, right? The issue we have yeah. is roadworthiness in the in the winter. Mm -hmm. It's dangerous for our citizens, so we want, want we don't want that to have that those risks associated to it, traffic accidents, etc. Um, we don't want those to occur. So can you please take on the responsibility for that and all figure it out. Figure it out, <laughs> like solve it. And all we will do is be on the alert of when we need you, right? We'll still take that responsibility with our weather station mm -hmm. and information services, our road traffic controllers, together with the police, fire departments, I have no idea. That's when we press press the button. So wouldn't that solve most of the issues that you have? Because then innovation, is, it's fine, but it's all on on the, if they can find a more innovative way of doing it, it's their problem. 
And maybe just to give you some time to, 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 to think about it, or if mm -hmm. you still think that I, this is nonsense and you want to stick to your previous argument, that's fine. Um, no, no, I also I, think that your second point, that's super relevant, the private law perspective. Um, mm. And I know, you, I know secretly that you're going to be working on that for a couple of years, I think, in your mm. new uh, funded project. If, if you do the subtle plug, I'll do the not so subtle plug. <laughs> you do plug. the so no subtle one. We'll okay. be talking a lot about purple, right? Is that the product's, project's name? Yes. Yes, so that's the next project. I think name. that's super, super important. But then again, that's not a public procurement law that's issue. That's not a public procurement. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it a little bit though is, right? Because the question, okay, to sort of start from the end and, and I wouldn't want to go too far from ultimately what, what our topic is, but it is slightly public procurement issue because the notion of that is that the, the contract that we have in the end is the vehicle for implementation of what we promised and what we paid for and what we potentially, to a certain extent, limited the competition for, right? Yeah. So we really need to make sure that we can ultimately deliver that. Um, so I would say that on the other end, actually, the laws that impact how you use that contract will be somehow sort of connected with procurement. So that's the one thing. The second thing is that this thing about mixed contract that I mentioned, it's a little bit, as you said before, it's also for me, you know, um, talking out loud. And that's the reason that we didn't record it yet specifically that episode, because there is still some part of it missing. It's to what extent, because I think that it's, again, one of those that we would need to have a specific case study. And in one case study, this is, this is sort of overcomplicating it. At the other, it might be a problem. Um, so it's one of one of those things. It's I think that it's depending to what extent you as a public buyer want to have a say and want to have a certain control, and to what extent um, you like how high in regards to different aspects of your tender you set requirements. Because I think that if we're going to say that this is a service contract and you're going to have an awfully a lot specification or award criteria weight on things connected with particular goods that are delivered as a part of that service contract, I worry that you may establish yourself or open yourself for a legal challenge when the disregarded bidder comes back and say, hey, this is not that relevant. Like I can provide the service that you want. The sort of, if my machine, you know, does this or whatever else, this, the, you shouldn't ask, this is, this is, you know, not sort of related to the, to the, to the actual subject matter of the contract that I'm making. This is a little bit on a very general theme that where I see slightly an, an, an issue, but I also see the point of view that, that it might be also several cases that this is not, not going to be really, really an issue, particularly if you use the output specification, the, the yeah. performance and functionality specification, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think also making sure that we still have enough time for our, um, Manual discussion, dessert. Mm -hmm. I, I actually realized that we didn't uh, explain what a manual is, but we'll get there in a second. Yes. So perhaps my call to action or question would be um, to to our listeners is, uh, and and uh, uh, just to start off, we did this this call out as well um, with the Didam episode um, two episodes ago, and Mart Barind from Estonia was so kind to share his thoughts. Um, on the Estonian context on the sale of land, so that was great. So please keep uh, keep sharing that uh, that space. Uh, we also received some some direct messages. So really appreciated everyone getting involved. So you know setting that standard, I kind of felt like let's do it again. 
Um, so yeah. my hypothesis would be EU public procurement law is not the, the problem when it comes to servitization. If it is a problem, it's actually more of a problem of circularity and not so much servitization mm -hmm. as a concept. Um, and other Changing issues... business practices, maybe. Hmm? Right? Yeah. Maybe so, changing business practices, that's what it Thank you so also. much for that link. I was just about to say <laughs> that as the third bit. Is I think it's really more of an issue of capacity, professionalization, um, moving forward, a bit of guts maybe, uh, all those type of you know financial capacity, all those type of circumstantial things that are super important for professional purchasing bodies or for contracting authorities in the law, is to, to make that shift. Um, but, but perhaps some people would, would disagree. So I'd love to, to hear that either on LinkedIn or directly. Um, we always look forward to, uh, to hearing your thoughts. Absolutely. So the main takeaways, uh, Willem concluded with some main takeaways or main points of our main, uh, going back to our sort of restaurant theme. Uh, and now to, to, to our dessert. So more academic uh, stuff, more stuff connected with our day-to-day -day life, not research related so much. And um, we, we did in a sort of provocative way uh, title it without explaining it a little bit cliffhanger, so to speak, that we will be talking about manos. Um, and I guess, yes, there is a need to explain slightly bit more. Yeah, for sure. I also find that I've used the word mammal in meetings and then people thought I was talking about a type of animal, like a mammal. mammal? Um, <laughs> so, so, so a mammal is a panel. So like it can be a panel, I suppose, in a broad sense of the word, as a selection committee. But more often it's referred to as a panel at a conference that is made up solely out of male participants. So male, panel, mammal. Um and I think the reason uh, why we wanted to discuss that today is it's because it's often discussed, I find, at universities. At some, it's not an issue at all, and I think perhaps it should become one. And it was also sparked by some of my personal experiences, and I'm sure you've had some as well, uh, Marta, where, uh, you know, you're confronted with this. And um, I, I, let, me, let me just start off before we kick out the substantive discussion, I already feel like a bit awkward and anxious talking about this. And I just want to be completely open about it because I am that like, what do you say? Mano material. I am mano material. And I, oh, it's just, she's <laughs> laughing. See, this is why I was so nervous. Uh, when I, so, no, I don't think that you should. I think that first of all, you should... I fully understand why you feel uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable topic. That's the reason that we're still dealing with this issue. But I also want to take this opportunity to 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 commend you for the fact of opening the discussion about it because I think it's a discussion, particularly you know we listen to a lot of uh, or uh, a lot of young academics listen to us, and I think that the world needs to be changing. We have some challenges ahead. We have some challenges that we experience both. Um, along the way. So it's important conversation to have. So uh, if we stumble a little bit or we say things that are maybe not necessarily correct, we're hoping that we have by now a quite good relationship with our listeners and, and they know that we always try to do our best and represent all different viewpoints in our chats. For sure. And I think also the, the reason why, you know, I think it's important we talk about it is that it's not in the position where we'd like to we'd like to be there's still a lot of manuals that are being organized for not very good reasons and i think through the discussion we can get some change going um 
but still, I, I mean, you've taken away some of my, but anyways, no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about it in a bit more substance. And the reason why it was also sparked is last year I organized a conference and we had a manual there. And um, I think I learned a lot from organizing that conference in the sense that I think there's a couple of things, a couple of questions that I think are important here is, can you still organize a manual? Or can you just simply not organize them anymore to, because it's, it, it doesn't provide a proper representation of quality in academia or for a different types of reasons. I think also a question would be for me is how, what diversity do we go for, right? Gender is only one type of a bit of diversity. Um, and what are intentions of people and how do you communicate about them? So those, I think, are, I think, or at least things that I would love to talk about a bit more um, in, in when it comes to, to manuals. Yeah, so I think that there are, substantively, there are two, there's the sort of back end and front end of, of a manual that we want to address, right? One is sort of how you go about organizing things and, and and what challenges you may face yourself and what's the right thing to do. And then in the hands, on the other hand side, uh, what is what happens when there is a manual, whether there should be some reaction to that from participants, because I also partake, partook in the conference that Willem is, is mentioning. So what is the right way? What is how we all do our bit to ultimately not have manuals uh, in the future? And if we don't have manuals, then is it already good enough or we need to try again harder to include even more diversity that Willem is is is, is um, addressing. I think first and foremost there is also importance when it comes to organization of these things to distinguish between on the one hand say being mindful and trying to organize it that is a conference event whatever it is to have a level of diversity to not have manuals and failing at it due to different circumstances that not necessarily are um, at fault of you as an organizer versus you just doing kind of sloppy job or not thinking about it whatever at, at all and just thinking, let me, you know, invite three, four people that I work with and I always work with them. I'm a dude. They are all dudes. And just so that you don't put thought into it, right? Because those two things are substantially different, I think. For right? sure. And I think also the way, or at least the, um, I think one of the arguments that often raises, yeah, but I went for quality, right? Which is one, a very harsh thing to say. Oof, it, oof. But it Don't is. get me started. No, but like, I mean, <laughs> that's one of the arguments that people say, right? Yeah. They say, well, yeah, yeah. you know, but I don't. But it's a lazy one. Come on. It's a lazy one. Yeah. Is it? Um, yeah. Okay, I, I'm trying yeah. to, yeah, I'm trying to be fully, <laughs> fully honest, right? So, yeah, yeah. and this and is also that. the thing that I struggle with sometimes is, so say you're organizing something, right? Mm -hmm. And you've done the legwork, right? Because people are lazy and I fully understand, even though I, I hope I'm not a dude, but like, and I also don't like Big Lebowski, if that was a reference you were making, <laughs> but like, um, if you've done the legwork, right? If yeah, you've you, properly you, you researched yeah. mm -hmm. and if you've, um, so this was also something that happened at the conference, right? So maybe that's also where the example is coming from. Is if you properly tried and you've done it, right? There was also momentum. I think the only thing that I could reflect upon, I think, for last year was maybe we shouldn't have done it, but we should have done it at a later date, 
right? So that's, I think, mm -hmm. also still a, a discussion. If, say, you ask a lot of uh, women to be part of the panel and they say no for whatever reason, ask them, and this is something that I definitely learned, is, okay, I really want you to be involved. When can you participate, right? What would be an alternative, right? I think that's a very important lesson that I at least learned. Um, but then then again, still, there's this quality thing. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, in a way, it's also a discussion about what's more important, right? You just go with people that are there. This is also then, I mean, I've talked about this a lot since clearly, but, but uh, people then give back to me, well, they're only there because they keep getting invited. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's a valid yeah. point. Yeah. Um, so where, do, where do you find balance point. in this? I think that is also an educational point because I I am a firm believer in you know broad diversity and I and I very strongly believe exactly in the statement that you made that we all make leaders in fields and we all give people platforms so you know a particular person just gets invited because other five people invited them before and that sort of they sort of ride the wave so to speak right yeah. and I think that today in a globalized world it's quite sloppy to make a statement that you go for quality and that means that you have you know three white pale and stale speakers uh for the for the you know the directness i'm pretty sure that you can find um women that that uh, provide exactly as good quality if not even superior of course the question is of networks and how you get there right because it might yeah. be a situation that your immediate network you only know a certain uh, male scholars in that field and i think that for sure one of the things rather than inviting them is just to reaching to them and saying you know um i'm looking for a female in your field is there anyone who you could recommend and i would hope that we have enough you know great colleagues that would do that and will give that platform too um because you know the thing is that it's an opportunity creation right yeah. on 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 the level of that so i do think i think that this is this is a bit tricky because there might be variety of issues as you said there might be a reason that i don't know you got some sort of external funding and the conference needs to be organized in particular time frame. Yeah. And that ultimately can mean that you go with the panel that you do have. And yeah. that brings us to the second point. Let's say that you did the legwork, you genuinely tried your best, you still end up with a manual. And um, how you go about it? Is it something that you address then before the panel starts? Or is that something that we don't address? Right. Okay. Um, uh, knowing that I'm already um, I'm being scrutinized here, we didn't. Mm -hmm. Mostly. And how you feel from perspective of time of that? Do you would you would you do that again? Or I, you think I still, that it I was still, a good? I th yeah? To be honest, I still don't know because I mm. still also think there's a valid reason for. Um, you know, it. I, I would not feel great if. I was, but then again, I understand that I'm then not the right person to say this because I am that white man. Yeah. But I do feel like mm -hmm. I have some type of agency here. I hope um, the people that are there sound like second choice. If you say yeah, that, and that's yes, and I don't want to yes. make them feel shitty about their participation. That would be, I think, my maybe that still means that you know that's just the collateral damage of showing leadership and imp the importance in it. Right, that's possible. Mm. Um, but how do you do that in a, you know, clever way? It's just to say, hey, sure. we, we understand the, 
that, that there's a bit of a gender disbalance. We value that. Um, we we well, you had cannot set say a, a bit though, right? And I'm not like you know. I'm no, no, no. Okay, that's yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> no, no. There like, is a gender the, disbalance. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if I was in this situation, <laughs> kind harsh, of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that there's also a bit of my role in this. You know that we had a conversation about it, and I think that ultimately, from a perspective also of participant in that conference of yours, it it and we had some chats about it later on. It's like, I feel bad for you because I also know you personally and I know that you genuinely, you know, you're not that person that ultimately as a source of this manos and issues. You, as you said yourself and your colleagues, you tried. But I think that where, where the, the challenge is that if you don't address it in any way, like this good thing that you did, that you tried, is somehow lost, it's not communicated. And people, unfortunately, usually then assume the worst, right? And I also fully understand the point that you're making that how you communicate, if you decide to communicate that, how you do that in a way to not sort of disrespect in a way the people that actually join, right? Mm -mm. And I wonder whether a solution to that would not be to actually, you know, give a call because it's not something that you want to write an email, but give a call, you know, before the conference to the panel participants and saying, you know, this is the situation. We strongly believe in that. We're extremely grateful. We're extremely grateful that you're participating, but we think that this is an important thing to address. Yeah. Would you be okay for us to address it in a way to really, you know, give a credit and show your appreciation to, as you say, not really make them feel like second choice, but at the same time, have a bit of uh, uh, th this role that we are, you know, educational institutions, we are to lead by an example. And if something like that happened, that, that genuinely we would say today shouldn't happen anymore, um, that, that we should address it. Um, so, you know, I think I would try to probably find a way to address it. Yeah, yeah, fair mm. enough. Yeah, see, it makes a lot of sense. I, there was one question I think I also was interested in. Um, how do you feel when, I don't know if you've been in this situation, but like mm. I, I've heard from colleagues or female colleagues. when A they token get, woman? Exactly. When they get asked <laughs> for an interview and there's five guys already talking and there's one woman that they're still looking for or yeah. in a panel, there's five, five people and one's a woman and there's the last one that gets confirmed and they were kind of at a meeting probably and they thought, uh, we have four we need men a already. Lady. We need a lady. Mm -hmm. Who can we find? Right? Not disres yeah. disrespecting the quality perhaps or hopefully not, but like how does that, how do you respond to that? Well, you know, um, have you watched at any point there is this American series called Good Wife? It's a, about lawyers, a very famous one. No? Sorry, it's a really I mean, good one. I, I, we can talk about I watch a lot of average television. This sounds like yeah. quality, so... It's a it's a really good show. I'm hoping that some of our listeners watch it. The the it's all about lawyers, and um, it's a situation in which one of the lawyers is being uh, female lawyers is being invited to some sort of committee or some sort of panel of something, and she goes to the partner who is a female of the law firm, and she sort of says that, and the lady says to her, "You know what? The idea is that that doesn't that does not." or it should not make you feel anyhow. It doesn't matter if you go there through the door or through the window. What is your role is to get in and make sure that no one after you need to experience that. So for sure, it's not in any way a nice thing 
And, you know, the amount of times that I'm somewhere and I feel like I'm not sure whether I'm here because they genuinely want me here or because they needed a woman. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that gives me a platform. So then when I organize something, I make sure that this is done better. And then I also will raise a question if I'm the only person that is, you know, in an in a agenda of a conference or a panel and it's, you know, like 90% or something male, I'll ask, what's the reason? And um, on the one occasion when I was the only person out of 10 that was a woman and I asked and they said kind of, oh, you know, it's about quality and this and that. Then I said, well, then then deal without me. And I stepped down if there is. Because then it was just really so they wouldn't say that they don't have a woman, but they didn't have an interest genuinely of um, having, a, a you know, like more diversity in their panel. The reason why I think it's important because it's not just that you're, you know, man or woman or non-binary or different ethnicity or different religion that, you know, visually also communicates. It's the thing that we have more and more diverse students and we need to model for them also through those things. But it's also simply on the variety of uh, perspectives in the conversation that we have. Because I think that the problem is that we all, you know, Western Europeans, let's say, and we all uh, from very similar background, et cetera, et cetera, we will all have quite similar viewpoints. And the aspect of it is that it's, you know, if it's an event in which we all kind of clap to each other and say how great and this and that and agree on everything, then it's a little bit, the sort of added value of that, I guess it's a little bit decreased, right? Yeah. Does I mean it? Uh, it does make it even. I mean, I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate, and don't you don't should, see it as a sure. bad thing. But like, it does make it even more complex, right? Like, I, I think this is an easy thing to address, and maybe that's the first step. But I think a general diversity focus is important, um, mm -hmm. and I think that's maybe also topic related, right? For some topics, it makes a lot of sense to have different types of backgrounds, different types of. Um, and and what what I'm then faced with is people say, well, it's always relevant to have all those different types of perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, but then, we, yeah, you end up with a conference of, with a hundred speakers. Do you know what I mean? So it's like a balance of all those things. Well, I th I think that the aspect that I always try to think is it cannot be used as an excuse for not doing anything right so the argument no. of saying Agreed. oh we need to be we need to be fully diverse having just women is not enough so it's all the time will be something, and this is with all these changes that happens in any field or in anything, right? You sort of use it, oh, you know, sustainability and procurement. And then what we else will put into it is always used as this type of argument of saying, no, no, let's just stay. Let's not change anything. Let it be as it is, because I have an interest in upkeeping the status quo, right? Ultimately, this sort of one way or another for, for, for many discussions, it might be rightly uh, the, the sort of the, the argument. So I don't think that it can be used as an excuse of not doing anything. Um, it is a long, long path. It's uh, circumstantial also. You know, if it's a particular field, let's say, you know, EU public procurement law, let's take it that, like how much, like on the largest conferences that are on EU public procurement, I'm not talking about global public procurement, no. but on EU public procurement, you have a representation of European um, university environments that to large extent is still quite uh, sort of uniform, right? Largely. For example, when it comes to ethnicity, right? Yeah. So, so you want, in a way, 
have much uh, sort of opportunities to choose. But if you have them, I think that you have an obligation to try to investigate them. Sure. You have an obligation to try to do better. And then if you feel ultimately that you failed at something, I think that is your right also to defend your standpoint in a, in a, in a way to address it. And saying, you know, we tried, but um, this didn't work out from X, Y, and Z. We are particularly extremely grateful that we have the speakers that we have and da-da-da. And, you know. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things that I think is really important is, one, what we started with is to have this discussion. Um, and I and it's weird in a way, because having this discussion, I also instantly thought, have I said something that's not couth, right? I was just having that thought. Yeah, and I think but that I, just, I think it's very normal when we're talking about all this like quite charged conversation yeah. that you feel feel very automatically self-censored. Yeah, and knowing that this is going to be shot into the air makes it inter- even yeah. more interesting. But yeah. I, I'm, I think I'm still I'm still okay with uh, um, whatever we've said, and please correct us if it wasn't right. I think maybe because we also have to have a brief look at time. I think what maybe what we could close off with is just uh, is just some 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 key takeaways or some intentions that we have so for me that means that i'm not organizing manuals anymore because i simply think it's wrong i still struggle with the further diversity thing i can be honest about that and i still mm-hmm. think it's difficult right particularly in this european setting and i fully agree with you but i think at least that's a first step right and along the way perhaps i or the community will grow into something better even. Two, I think I also don't want to be a part of Manals myself anymore. So this point that you mentioned before, I think is very valid. I declined an invite last week to just, and I think that came as a shock and me kind of breaking the bro code, like you would refer to it, right? Mm. Like, oh, stop being like the, the whinge bag. Like, is this really an issue? We're just trying to get things done. Yeah. I think I will continue to struggle with the time aspect of it. And if you really need to keep going and if you've put in the legwork, that, that's, I think, something that's that's difficult. So, um, but like I said, the first vow is to not organize them anymore. So, so as I've solved mm. that for myself. Um, and I think it's it's important that more men also take on Ooh, this role. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, it, it's not, uh, I think that's a, still quite far, far of a discussion, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, uh, in a way, uh, a lot is is also expected from women like yourself, right? Like like standing up and you know still sitting in the room and then making others not have to experience this, all those things that you ex- explained. Well, you know, it's this thing of what you said on the one hand, say you kind of get a bit side eye if you say no, I'm not participating in manuals, and then I will get the same amount of sort of side eye if I will ask why it is a manual. Yeah. That you even raised the question, right? So this is difficult. We none of us want to come across wrongly in in professional settings. You need to put a bit of skin in the game, so to speak. And you know, from my perspective, we also represent a little bit different uh, standpoint, kind of just by who we are, right? In this discussion, but I would definitely um, very much agree with the points that you made. Um, I think that this is not something that. Uh, also in this sort of divisive way, men versus men, et cetera, is going to be solved. We really need um, also, as, uh, as as you said, the type of support for each other. 
Um, but I think um, for me, the main takeaway also of that is consider how you ask about it. Because I think that it can come across very accusatory. I mean, right now, from a perspective of someone that comments, oh, why this is a man or we shouldn't have a man or X, Y, and Z. And I think with a lesson learned also, you know, from the conference and from our chats around the, the sort of experience that we both share. And so it's also like, how you then also ask that question because i think that you should ask the question but the way how you do it also matters because then you can make sort of harm similarly as organizing a manual similarly for for questioning that you can and do harm to to a institution organization group that was organ, or organizing particular event and really try it right so i think it's um, also from a perspective of of the of the end of this how you ask the question matters too. Yeah, yeah, it's a super valid point. I think let's let's assume, but I suppose that's just about life. Is that people's intentions are good? If we start from there, we can perhaps change our opinion about them. But I think that would yeah. make the discussion a lot more. Um, yeah. You and say, you wouldn't need fruitful. to worry so much, right? You wouldn't need to worry because I think what we do right now is like you kind of uh, um, uh, um, uh, um, like sort of you're measuring each of your word. And, and, and that's for sure not helpful for us to move forward with, with, with this development. So I think with those great takeaways and sort of summary points of our dessert, uh, something that, that we really hope that um, sort of serve also as a, as a lesson, as inspiration of, of how you can deal with this type of situation. And similarly, as um, Willem's call from early on, if you have some good advices or experiences to share that can help us as a community to move forward, we would be very grateful if that is in a privacy of a message to either of us or engaging with the podcast on linkedin or twitter etc i think that then we can conclude for today what do you think for sure sounds good good thank you so much to our listeners thank you to willem this was the stack public procurement podcast this was the the public procurement podcast do you want to contribute to today's discussion and share your thoughts on linkedin or twitter do you have an idea for a future episode write to us at www.bestechpodcast.com.